KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Good morning, I'm Tebby Cruz. It's Tuesday, December 12th. How the temporary closure of Pad West is impacting businesses in San Isidro. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. An eight-year ban on separating migrant families at the border is now in effect. A San Diego federal judge gave final approval to a settlement on Friday that bans the practice. The lawsuit was filed in 2018 by the ACLU to block the Trump administration's zero-tolerance policy, which separated undocumented parents from their children when they attempted to cross into the U.S. The settlement also offers aid to those affected by the policy, including helping them obtain asylum, work permits, housing assistance, and help in locating and reunifying separated family members. Single-family home sales fell by more than 17% last month compared to October. Sales of condos and townhomes were 15% lower, too. That's according to data released this week by the San Diego Association of Realtors. But even though sales were down, prices were still up. The median price of a single-family home is $980,000. That's more than 11% higher than a year ago. San Diego Association of Realtors President Frank Powell said multiple factors play a role in the drop in home sales right now, but he said it's typical for this time of year. So the average person looking for a house right now is really uh, geared towards the slowdown of the season uh, being, you know, Christmas and New Year's and family coming in to visit and, um, you know, getting ready for the kids to be off of school, those those people who do have children. And the combination uh, is not unheard of that it slows down the market during you know uh, November, December. Powell said based on previous cycles of real estate, there's more activity during the spring and summer months. Some of the highest tides of the year are expected to hit the county's coastal areas starting today. The National Weather Service says king tides will surge through Friday king tides can reach up to seven feet. The big waves are expected to return near Christmas from December 24th through the 27th. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Last weekend marked the beginning of the temporary closure of the pedestrian border crossing called Ped West. Reporter Matt Hoffman says businesses in San Isidro are feeling the pinch 
during what is typically the busy holiday season. They close it, we can see just right away everything go down the business. Blocks away from the U.S.-Mexico border, Carol and Chu's owner Olivia Campos says Ped West's closure was felt right away. This Saturday and Sunday, we are like waiting for customers and we don't see customers. Customs and Border Protection officials say they needed to temporarily close PedWest in order to redirect staff following increasing numbers of migrant crossings. PedWest was closed for nearly three years during the pandemic and it reopened in January, but then it was shuttered temporarily again this September. And now again during one of the busiest times of the year for local businesses, holiday shopping season. It's bad for everybody, not only in San Isidro, Chula Vista, National City, every, everywhere is the same thing. CBP officials say they will provide updates on the temporary closure when they can. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. Operations have been back to normal at Tri-City Medical Center for a few weeks, but it's still feeling the effects of a cyber attack last month. North County reporter Jacob Ayers says now it appears some patient data has been posted online. Just days ago, a cybersecurity expert posted on social media that an extortion operation called Inc. Ransom announced it had records stolen from Tri-City Medical Center and reportedly posted some on the dark web. The post included proof in the form of eight pages presumably taken from Tri-City during the digital attack, according to cybersecurity expert Nicholas Behar. We're seeing them post uh, things like patient authorization forms, financial records, uh, and they're going to contain things like name, phone number, but we're not certain if uh, they access any of the electronic medical records. We reached out to Tri-City, but they did not respond in time to a request for an interview or statement on the matter. Currently, there is no indication on the extent of the Tri-City records in the attacker's possession. Jacob Ayer, KPBS News. The biggest names in Western Water will be gathering under one roof in Las Vegas this week to discuss the future of the Colorado River. KUNC's Alex Hager spoke with leaders from around the region to get a sense of their priorities ahead of the annual event. Last winter brought a lot of snow to the Rockies. When it all melted, it was a big boost for the Colorado River's main reservoirs, Lake Powell and Lake Mead. It was also a temporary weight off the shoulders of the decision makers going to this year's conference. I think where we are heading into this one is fortunately not much to really get too excitable about, uh, which is a nice thing. J.B. Hamby is California's top water negotiator. The past few years, he and other policymakers have had to work quickly on short-term deals that kept water in those reservoirs. Now they've got the space to focus on something bigger, long-term rules for sharing the river when the current guidelines expire in a few years. Now we have an open runway to figure out post-2026 and with a much uh, lowered temperature and clearer heads. The conference also gives a chance for native tribes to make their voices heard in those negotiations. After a long history of exclusion, they're starting to have more say in conversations about water management. Lorelai Cloud, acting chairman of the Southern Ute Indian Tribe, says that needs to go further. We want our participation to be institutionalized. That is going to be key. Cloud says she wants more formalized seats at the table for tribes going forward, seats that last through changes in administration. She'll be using the Vegas conference to push for that and to share the stories of people from her tribe who struggle to access water. And help other people to understand 
what our people go through to get water in their home or to have water on a daily basis, that's my duty as a tribal leader, to make those personal connections. The seven states that use the river, they'll also be trying to win over hearts and minds and make their case that the new set of river management rules shouldn't cut too hard into their share of water. Becky Mitchell is Colorado's top water negotiator. It seems like my constant challenges is making sure that we're understood in the upper basin. Mitchell says Colorado and its upper basin partners, Utah, Wyoming, and New Mexico, they feel the sting first when the Colorado River goes through a dry year. And she wants to tell the stories of farmers and ranchers who feel it the most. My next week is going to be spent figuring out how do I tell these stories so that they resonate beyond Colorado. While leaders across the basin work to garner good press and get closer to a long-term deal, the state of the nation's largest reservoirs is still pretty dire. Jack Schmidt directs the Center for Colorado River Studies at Utah State University. We have to be saving water at a much higher rate than we are now. Last spring, when snow started to melt, the word on everyone's lips was squander as in don't squander the snowy boost from Mother Nature. So how are the region's water leaders doing when it comes to that goal? Schmidt says, not great. As we listen to the agreements, you would think that our rate of consumption was significantly less than it had ever been after any other wet year. And that is not the case how exactly to make long-term cuts to water use will be at the center of the upcoming talks in Las Vegas. Vanitha Kartha is with the Central Arizona Project. We are all at the cusp of potentially new ideas, innovative ideas going forward. Kartha says that could mean new ways of measuring how much water is in the river or distributing cutbacks. Whatever ideas shape the next set of river guidelines, she says, it'll take everyone pitching in. I always tell my kids many hands make light work. It's the same thing here. Even in the middle of contentious talks with no clear solution, Kartha says she's optimistic because pretty much everyone agrees on the scale of the problem. Climate change is shrinking supply, and the people in charge need to cut back on demand. I'm Alex Hager. This story is part of ongoing coverage of the Colorado River produced by KUNC and supported by the Walton Family Foundation. Coming up, we learn about a unique place called Brick and Barn set among the rolling hills of Valley Center. A lot of people that have never been here before just can't believe that they never heard about it before. What makes this place so special, including a connection to Betty Crocker and more just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. A holiday gift drive at the La Jolla Country Day School is bringing hope to a season shadowed by war and religious conflict in the Middle East. Education reporter M.G. Perez has more on the lesson offered by the annual tradition. 
We kind of do a mix of both. We always celebrate Hanukkah. We always celebrate Christmas. 16-year-old Jack Tobel is a junior at La Jolla Country Day School. He is also a volunteer this week for Country Day's annual Giving Tree Project. Lip balm, insulated water bottle, wallet. There is a lesson of compassion happening over the next couple of days on campus as gifts are donated and wrapped by staff, students, and their families for delivery to children in foster care and low-income communities. I think right now it's just a good idea to think about what you have in such a privileged life. A billion people in this world go without having electricity and safe, drinkable water. By Wednesday, the Giving Tree Project expects to have gifts for more than 400 children, from infants to teenagers. M.G. Perez, KPBS News. It was once the home of Agnes White who portrayed Betty Crocker. But reporter John Carroll tells us that's only part of why a nine-acre property in the rolling hills of Valley Center is so special. It's a busy scene off Miller Road in Valley Center. Holiday music and the sound of food truck generators fill the air. Hundreds of people have come from all over Southern California and beyond to experience Brick and Barn. What is Brick and Barn? Well, here's how co-owner Marlies Cast Myers describes the place, taking into account its previous resident, Betty Crocker. Like, you should call it the Betty Crocker estate. You should call it something with Betty Crocker. And we wanted to have a whole identity separate from Agnes or Betty Crocker. Um, it's a bonus, but um, once you come here, you're finding like an experience in community. So when yeah. Cast Myers and her husband Benjamin bought this place five years ago. It was in bad shape. Uh, we hauled away over 20 tons of garbage um, and a lot of green waste. The pool was broken, the barn was leaking, uh, we had a rat infestation. There was just a lot of love that the place needed. And a lot of love is what it got in the form of money spent and sweat equity invested. Fortunately, Benjamin is one of those people who can build, fix, and improve all sorts of things. Gardens, chicken coops, uh, repairing roofs, um, doing this, putting in sprinkler lines. Um, the whole front yard, he did all the landscaping on that, which we call Central Park. Uh, he built the, the stalls uh, for all of the, ven the vendors that come once a month. And that brings us to what exactly is going on here. At the outdoor stalls, you'll find all sorts of arts and crafts. There's an apothecary and plenty of temptations for the tummy, homemade jams and jellies, fresh baked bread and other baked goodies. Um, a lot of people that have never been here before just can't believe that they never heard about it before and they can't believe what they found. That's Harold Cook. He's managed Brick and Barn since the beginning. I think it's really like community. People love to come and hang out. We have customers that come every month and they'll come early, get a coffee, they'll shop a little, they'll come out front, they'll sit and chat, then they'll eat lunch, uh, and then they'll shop some more. Much of that shopping happens inside the barn. The theme was Christmas when we were there. People were packed in, strolling the aisles, occasionally bumping into the wind chimes, discovering all sorts of seasonal delights, things you probably wouldn't see anywhere else. Next month, all the holiday merchandise will be gone. All the vendors spend the three weeks in between the one week and a month they're open searching for all new treasures. And that's what keeps Brick and Barn fresh. If everything looked exactly the same with a few new things in it, they, you know, the, in, the, the motivation to come would not be the same. So 
Um, it's funny, a lot of our customers think, oh, we have three weeks off or four weeks off, and we're here working uh, every week, putting it together for them. A lot of birds call this their home. The peacocks wander down to see what's going on with all the humans. But most, like the resident flock of guinea hens, along with two curious turkeys and various other fowl, stick closer to the house. Let's go inside. Cast Myers invites us in to the two-story brick home, constructed in the late 1800s. You're going to love it. I know I will. You ready? Marlies and Benjamin have, as she says, restored, not renovated, the place. Carpet was ripped up. On the stairs, they found a drawer built into the staircase that no one had seen for decades. But the main thing here, at least from the Betty Crocker years, is the kitchen. So this spot right here is where Agnes White did cooking show of the air. Which a period photo shows White in front of a huge microphone of that era, talking about recipes, answering listeners' questions. It's a culinary trip back in time. The house is not open to the public. It is, after all, where Marlies and Benjamin live. But there is so much to see and experience here. A place of warmth, of community, set among the rolling hills of Valley Center. John Carroll, KPBS News. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top stories. Pleasant look at how the city of San Diego is spending the money you put in parking meters. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening and have a great Tuesday. <laughs>